for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Let's just pray. I just need to invite God. Lord, I know you're here. Wow. And you have something for us today that we woke up and that we came here today and we didn't expect. We didn't expect to meet with you today in the way that you're going to meet with us. So, Lord, we just commit this place to you. We commit um, what it is you want to say to each one of us. And let the words of my mouth fall to the ground that are not from you and those things that are from you, that they would go and penetrate into dark places, Lord, where you want to bring healing. Thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I'm going to be back and forth with my glasses here. All right. So... This month is about uh, our stories. So who doesn't love a good story? I love a good story, okay? That's one of the things about my life that I would say is my passion is I love to hear people's stories. Um, I love biographies. As long as I can remember, I, that would be my favorite read is I'd pick up some great biography about somebody and um, like some of my favorites are the great exploits of Smith Wigglesworth. You know how he was this plumber guy that couldn't read and God taught him how to read the Bible and then he would raise people from the dead and see healings and miracles and he was just an uneducated tradesman. Just a fa fascinating story. And, um, <clears throat> or or um, Amy Carmichael, who was a woman who went to India and, and uh, well, kind of through a few other countries, Japan and China, and um, she actually just revolutionized how God moved in a whole different environment. It's just fascinating to me. The latest one I read uh, this last spring was uh, Jackie Pullinger, and she went to Hong Kong in 1966, and I don't know if you're aware of that, that Hong Kong had this walled city that didn't belong to China and didn't belong to Hong Kong, and it was a separate walled city and there was no uh, police, there was nothing, so the drug gangs ran the city. There was no electricity or running water either and there was over 100,000 people that lived there. And she went there as a 22-year-old as a music major and to all you musicians who think that you're just little old musicians, she went there and she, um, she saw one drug lord come to Jesus after another. And uh, it just moves me that, you know, really the ingredient for these people was is that they said yes to God. That really is this uh, ultimate, the ultimate calling is that we would say yes. We don't always know what the yes means, okay? So I just want to kind of put that out there. So I, I think it's a great advantage. We get to read biographies and we get to see like 60 years in the life of in one, you know, couple of day read. Uh, so my life is still in progress. So just for the record, uh, God is not really finished in some of these areas that I'm going to share about, but he has definitely uh, been doing some incredible things in my life that uh, I just feel really called to share. I also want to kind of put a disclaimer out to that uh, 
Sometimes, it's interesting as I was preparing to share this story, sometimes you feel like, oh, it's just, you know, whatever, that old story, right? We all kind of want to minimize our own story. We want to minimize uh, those still small voice developments that we have. And I just want to say that those are meaningful and impactful. So this morning, I really do believe that there's going to be an unlocking for you that where you thought something was insignificant or something was meaningless, that actually God wants you to go a little bit deeper into those areas. And your story is important. Your story has impact. In fact, guess what? Your story is the only one you have. Ha ha. So you can hear something about my story and think, wow, that's great. I can read about these other stories and think, you know, I just want to be like them. Uh, But the fact is, is that I'm just me. And so my story is just mine. But what I'm hoping today is that you will consider that if God moves in my life, that he will also move in your life. So I don't care if you don't remember all the stuff that's happened in my life that I'm going to share, but that you would go a little bit deeper with God and say, God, what about me? What about my life? What about my story? Where are you at work in my story? Okay? So that's my disclaimer. I also want to say that uh, one of the things God constantly calls me to, I was talking with Anarik about this, is he constantly calls me to be vulnerable, way past the point where I like to be, Okay? So today is no different. I'm going to be vulnerable way past the point that I personally like to be. And if you're uncomfortable with it, I'm with you, okay? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, just, you know, persevere and press in and consider once again what God wants to say to you in your story, okay? So my story begins uh, 51 years ago. I just turned 51 in June. And... uh, Maybe you can put that picture up, my family picture. It's quite a crazy family that I come from. Uh, So as you can see, there are no boys in that family. So so I come from a family of seven girls and um, a hard, hard working family. So uh, I, I don't, and now I have two boys, so that's really interesting, as you can imagine, for my boys mostly, because I want to talk way too much for them. Um, so I was, I don't know if you can tell which one I am, but I was the third girl out of seven. So that would put me in the pretty blue dress on the left. And, um, yeah, so I know that each one of my sisters have their own story. So you can probably attest to that, that especially uh, in a large family, but really any family, you have your own story. So I saw my parents differently than my sisters saw their, you know, and each, even if we were to remember a certain memory, they would see it slightly different than I do, okay? So, um, so that's just the way stories go. So uh, that picture uh, doesn't really, sh- everybody's always smiling in family pictures, right? And they all look so good and everything. But my, my family was really no different than a lot of families today. So in my family, there were threads of divorce. There was remarriage. And my, that little baby there sitting on my mom's lap uh, is actually um, a high-needs, uh, handicapped child. She has three, uh, severe cerebral palsy. Uh, when she was born, her heart stopped for 20 minutes, and um, she was revived, and so she was fully depend- dependent on us for care. 
So that picture doesn't really show you that either. Uh, it doesn't really show you that the dad in that picture was not my birth dad, but he was the only dad that I, that I came to know <clears throat> as a dad on earth. And, um, and it also doesn't really show that in that family there was repeated sexual predators that came upon us girls. It doesn't sh show you that, right? Because everybody's just so smiling and happy. Um, and it, it doesn't also really show the enormous levels of shame that we operated out of. Because we're smiling and we're putting on our best, right? And I don't think there's anything wrong with smiling and putting on our best. But I just want to sort of introduce that, that when we look at a family, we don't necessarily know all the stuff that's going beneath the surface. So I do find that a lot of my parents' story played out in our lives because we were the kids, you know, and the kids have to toe the line and follow their parents marching, and a lot of their story of pain played out in, uh, in our lives. And so um, I actually have found, I just want to put this as a commercial break, I have found a lot of healing in finding out their story as adults, so as one adult to another, I found a lot of healing because it puts it into perspective. So uh, they get to be their own people and they get to have their own story too. So, um, you know, unfortunately for me, it, it played out in my life, but um, there's, there's a special weapon for that. So I was about three or four when my first father um, walked away, not this father, sorry, my first father walked away from our family. Uh, his, his abdication, was not made overly clear to me through the years, uh, except that I was told that he had an affair and that he was a bad person and that we should never have anything to do with him and, um, or, and he was never allowed back in our lives. So I didn't grow up knowing my birth father. So this became a large source of shame for me. This became a sense of uh, disconnect for me. Why would my, my daddy leave? Why wouldn't he stay and love us? There was five of us from that first marriage, so the older five. So why would he leave? Am I unworthy of a daddy's love? Those are questions that go through a child's mind. What have I done wrong? <gasps> maybe if I hadn't have cried so much, maybe if I had been happier, maybe all these things that go through a child's uh, brain which is crazy, but the root of them are shame. So uh, it's, it's crazy that to think that something from our behavior would cause an adult, you know, but in our mind, we think, oh, that's gonna cause the adult to do something. So you can see how irrational these thoughts are for a child and where shame gets embedded. Irrational thoughts, okay? There's this, there's, I'm taking you somewhere here, okay? And it's, it's good, so don't worry, but, okay? So um, around the same time as my father, first father left, my uh, sister, my, uh, my one that's right over on the other side, her name's Kathy, uh, her and I were allowed to go to stay overnight at a family friend's and uh, uh, he was Uncle Con. He was like, everybody loved him. He was the wealthy single man that was older like a grandpa and he, 
he always gave us candy, and he was going to take us to his place, and we were going to get to spend the night and have our own room. And for a kid in a family of five girls, this was a big deal, to have your own room and your own bed. Like, wow, you just feel like a princess. So um, unfortunately, one night, uh, when he, the one night that I stayed over, he, that he was tucking me into bed, he uh, took it upon himself to sexually molest me. So that night, well, let's say sexually abuse me. So that night, um, something, you know, happened for me. So being four, you, you look at these kids and you think they're four, like what are they really, what are they really conscious of? And yet I can still remember thinking, oh, that was wrong. That wasn't appropriate. That's super disappointing. I'm very sad about that. All these like, and I sound kind of monotone because as a four-year-old it almost kind of was because it was so like, ew, like that's not the way it's supposed to go. You know, I'm the princess and I get my own room and I get, you know, it's going to be all good. So obviously that experience left impact in my being, in my identity. Once again, I wondered why am I not just treated like a princess? Like, why am I treated like this? What have I done to bring this on? Um, I'd like to say that it was the only time that that ever happened to me, um, but different predators, uh, different experiences, and, and got embedded this whole thing that I have done something to bring this on. Okay, now we can sit as rational adults and say, that's ridiculous. Kids don't do those things to bring that on. That's a predator. Um, but, but I want to focus on the fact that those thoughts still came, and as a child, I received them. So, um, and that affects me going forward. So it is possible, like when I'm saying all of these things, that I know there are m many people in this room many, unfortunately, that have had similar experiences. Uh, I know because I counsel, and I know because I hear people's stories, and it's just crazy. So I know that this thread of shame is something that many of you carry, not just about this experience, this kind of experience, but it gets embedded into your, into your thinking, okay? So I just want to say this morning to you that God's love is so adequate to come in and change those thoughts and change the place that you're coming from. So I just want to put that out there. His love is so strong and so adequate. And when I share with you some of the things he revealed to me, uh, I, I hope you're just like considering that it could be possible for you. So um, father number two comes into the picture. And uh, with five girls already in the family, uh, my, many people say, oh, crazy guy. <laughs> but he was actually a really loving father, and I think he had it on his uh, DNA to have a lot of love. So I think that's just what he brought to our family. It wasn't perfect by any means, uh, but he did bring that. And so I would say he was the best of my earthly dads. And uh, he was generally kind and had a carefree quality, and he allowed me to dream about better times and consider that there may be good opportunities. And it really was his influence in my life that 
that causes me to be able to catapult into someplace better, okay? So um, I, I have to say all of that because I'm gonna tell you another story that happened and you know the thing about stories is you wanna preserve other people's honor and integrity and so then you tell stuff about them and then you run the risk of them being labeled and all that kind of stuff. So you know God's not finished with any of us yet, right? So even though I share this stuff with you, you know that you know, God's got this, okay? So around the age of nine, my parents sent me to Bible camp. So I think my mom was just wanting to get a break. <laughs> she probably got a subsidy because of the bulk uh, family <laughs> discount. <laughs> and so uh, so she sent us to Bible camp. And, um, and you know, when you're a kid, when your parents expose you to something, you just uh, automatically assume that they're okay with it and they're on board and they, they've gone before you and they know. That, that's kind of a, an assumption that kids play. So I just sort of put that out there. That's another little commercial break that you think some of the things won't rub off on your kids, but they actually do because they just think that you're like, you know, the guide, okay? So my parents sent me to Bible camp, and um, thankfully it was a Bible camp, and I met Jesus. I met Jesus. I, I can still remember it, honestly, if I shut my eyes, I can still remember as if it was today that I met him. He, he, he became visible to me. I'm pretty sure he was always with me, but he became very visible, and I received him uh, as my constant companion. And uh, I want to encourage you, I'm just going to put that out there, that I actually believe there are people here today that don't know him as your constant companion. And today uh, is your day. He's here. He's so anticipating meeting with you. So I just want to sort of put that out there and say that today is the day you get to be introduced to Jesus. Well, interestingly, my parents picked us up from camp, and I'm in the car, and I, my whole world changed when I saw Jesus, when I met him. My, my whole world. I had a gift um, given to me. I didn't realize this till later, you know, till you get mature and stuff, but... Um, at the time of salvation, you are given gifts from the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things that he gave me was uh, uh, gifts of discernment. So, and, and this is how it manifested, so I'm nine, and I'm walking around and I can see the leaves on the trees like bionic vision. Like it was kind of crazy, but I would see, I never, I noticed trees before, but I didn't notice trees before. I noticed grass before, but I never noticed grass before. I didn't notice the veins going and all the life and how the life streams into the leaves. And I didn't notice the structure of a blade of grass. And all of a sudden I was just, I couldn't believe how amazing all that God had created was. So that was sort of that first as a nine-year-old, uh, how it manifested for me. And uh, I became curious about things under the surface. So so that took me into you know, being curious about people's stories and their lives and all the things that play out in their life. I'm so curious. So unfortunately, if you do know me, um, I go deep as opposed to wide. So, so I tend to like to go right down, make some people uncomfortable, but there you have it. So that's you know, where God took me. So I began um, so excited about that. So I was, uh, my parents picked me up 
from uh, camp and we're in the car and of course, uh, so, you know, big family. We drove an orange Volvo station wagon. I don't know if you remember those. And it was back in the day when no one had to wear seatbelts. So it was like, you know, all of us in the car, no seatbelts, just wherever you can find a spot, you would just sit and, uh, or lay or whatever and squawk because someone was touching you, you know. Uh, <laughs> the girls was like, stop touching me. Anyways, so, so we're doing the drive home and I'm like, guess what happened to me this week? And my parents were like, what? You know, they're probably used to kids being excited after camp. And I'm like, I met Jesus. I met Jesus this week. I met him. And he's so awesome. There was this silence that fell over the vehicle. And my parents looked at each other and they were like, uh-oh, what has she done? She's become, and I don't know, nothing was said. But at the time, I remember feeling a great amount of shame around meeting Jesus. How can that be, right? But it was something that, um, it was outside the bounds of what they knew. And so it was a shameful thing. It was outside the bounds of probably what they knew how to handle and what to deal with because it was past the point that they had ever gone. So I was very uh, attuned to that. Right away I was like, oh Judy, they don't know what you know. They don't know who you know. You've got to walk this line a little careful. So I'm nine, right? I'm getting all of that insight as a nine-year-old. So I remember um, going back from there, attending church in Regina. I'm from Saskatchewan, by the way. So uh, it's popular in this place to be from Saskatchewan. Um, and I started attending church in Regina, and my parents, once again, would send us girls off to church so they have Sunday morning to themselves. And uh, so off we went. And um, things at home were not good. So things at home were unruly. Things at home were tumultuous. Things at home were uh, constant battles. Okay, so once again, happy family. But at home, it was difficult, it was raw. Everyone was on edge. There was massive amounts of shame, all right? So uh, as a nine-year-old, I remember standing in front of my stereo at home, and I love to sing, and I would stand there, and I'd finally, I said, you know what, God? If you don't save my parents, I don't know how I'm gonna stay a Christian. And that's a nine-year-old language for God, can you please save my parents, right? Can you come and meet them? And uh, I've come to realize that was actually my first prophetic prayer. Like, how cool is that, right? So uh, because with, within the year, that same year, my youngest sister, Nancy, was born, and the whole big trauma around her birth, and the heart failure, and severe cerebral palsy, and now she was number seven, okay? So all these girls staying at home. So the church that I had gone to and participated decided to love on my family. This is, this is I think, embedded in my story of my constant love for uh, the church. I, I have this, I can go away from the church and get frustrated with people at the church, but it always, like, I come back to the church because I go, I see how the body can, like, save. <laughs> the body is, like, amazing. <clears throat> so they pitched in and brought meals. As you can imagine, that would be a major gift to a family of seven kids and a handicapped 
traumatized situation there. So my parents just couldn't resist it. They just started coming, maybe out of obligation or thankfulness that they had to come and say thank you and be kind to these people that had been so amazing. Anyways, be, be in the first year um, that I had prayed that prayer, my parents came to know the Lord from that experience. So, and my dad was baptized, and it was just amazing, and I was like, wow, God, you rock. Like, you get things done, you know? This is like, <laughs> this is awesome. Um, so I can get actually like that when I'm praying for somebody. I'm like pretty bossy pants, but it's just kind of because uh, you know, I've got a history there, so I've, I've, I just do it naturally. Um, so, I just want to pause to see where he wants me to go here. Uh, right around the same time as my sister was born and my parents came to know Jesus, uh, they had decided to buy a farm in the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan, 30 miles from the closest town. Uh, to start from scratch a dairy farm. Yeah, yeah, with seven girls, okay? The youngest of which is in a wheelchair. So we moved to a one-bedroom log house with no running water for a year because that was a good idea, <laughs> and, um, and started this dairy farm. So needless to say, I know about hard work. Uh, I know about non-convenience. I know about roughing it, uh, and so some of you who think that I just am this princess that doesn't know about any of that stuff, I do, I do. <laughs> the girls, just to get over the fact that uh, we had to go into an outhouse, we painted the inside of the outhouse a uh, hot pink, <laughs> just, <laughs> just because we had to do something to get over it. So, um, but I would say between the, the heavy labor of the farm and caring for my handicapped sister, which, can I just say, involved seizures all the time, involved putting her to sleep for hours at night. Uh, I became one of the primary caregivers because somehow I knew how to feed her and nobody else in the family could figure out because she had to like touch a muscle here uh, to make her swallow safely. And there's just all kinds of uh, things that you have to attend to with a handicapped child. Back then, kids were actually, uh, that were born with that much needs, were actually put into a care facility. But my parents decided, no way, we're not doing that. We're going to make this our identity. So our family identity became, uh, evolved around having a handicapped uh, child and having seven girls. So that was a big deal for us. So. Of course, in my life, the stories of, uh, was God really there? Really, when will this stop? <laughs> when can I get off of this train? Like, there was so much work and so much turmoil. So the question for me is, it was always like, whoa, I'm going to check out of this. This was, this was too hard. One night, uh, when I was around 11 years old, uh, on the dairy farm, we had built up the dairy farm, built the barn, milked about 40 cows, and um, was clearing out the milk house, and we had to sterilize all the milking equipment. So I stayed there and was doing that, and uh, realized that 
Um, I didn't have a dustpan. I didn't have a tool to clean up the straw and the stones and the manure on the floor. So I was like, oh, my dad had this issue. He wasn't a farmer by trade, okay? So he had this issue of never putting tools back or never giving us the tools that we needed. So it's been a frustration for me. So I just thought, I'm going to go back to the house and just tell him, and he'll clean up in the morning. Oh, he just hit the roof, and he said, um, he basically said, no, if you don't go back there, you're not going to be allowed back in the house, and I don't care if you pick it up with your teeth. Now, kind of an abusive thing to say to a kid, but you can also hear it from his side. He was, like, exhausted, <laughs> too, right? So, but I responded kind of crazy. Something inside of me changed that, that moment. Um, I had, um, I saw the absolute disregard for my well-being, and I decided that it was not acceptable. So I decided to walk away from home. And uh, it was cold, it was a really cold night, and I was 30 miles from anywhere, so I went to uh, go walking. And the strangest thing to me was, is that I uh, was walking and I felt warm, and I felt protected, and I felt cared for. And I remember making a note of that when I was 11, thinking, how come I'm so warm? Like, I'm always cold. I should be freezing by now. And uh, I remember going, God is with me. I know God is with me. And I share these two stories with you this morning because I want you to um, consider that God is more with you than you know. God is more with you than you know. He gave me revelation on that um, story that, and I just want to read out of Romans 8, uh, 30 to 32, and we're so running out of time, just need a couple extra minutes. Um, and having chosen us, he called us to come to him, and when we came, he declared us not guilty, filled us with Christ's goodness and gave us right standing with himself and promised us his glory. What can we say to such wonderful things as, as these? If God is on our side, who can ever be against us? Joshua 1.9 says that God is with us wherever we go. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous, and do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. I like the part where it says he's with us. He's with us. I believe that these verses are declaring that God is more with us than we think. Our difficult experiences that lock us up and make us feel guilty or ashamed are not lasting because God is more with us than we think. So I wanted to go into um, more of a story here about where shame came in, but we, have, we are running out of time. Um, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned, when they had done something wrong, they uh, felt shame. Right? They felt shame. Shame came in. But what happened when shame came in is that it didn't stay there. Because what happened was God came and actually he wasn't intimidated by their shame or what had happened to them or what they had even done. He wasn't. He actually came to find them. He's constantly pressing into us regardless of our shameful experiences. 
whether they're self-inflicted or whether they've been done to us. So I just want to position God for you this morning that you'd see that he's the one that actually makes advances to you. He's the one that comes to you. So what shame did was keeping me separated from what was good. The longer I believed that I had a role to play in this that was going to lock me in, then that's where shame kept me in. So one day I asked God, and this is where I'm going to get close to wrapping it up here. I asked God, what difference did it make that you were with me? Okay? Because I, I know this, like, I hear this so often. I do it myself. We hear about these stories. We have our own stories. God, where were you in that? And once we get established, okay, he's with us. Okay, I'm going to believe Bible that says he's with us all the time. Okay? But what difference did he make that he was with me when I was a four-year-old girl, right? What difference did it make that he was with me when I was an 11-year-old, totally desperate for love and acceptance? What, what difference does it make? Oh my goodness, this is the difference it makes. So I asked him and he immediately took me to this memory of when I was four. And I've done lots of forgiveness and healing around that. So I was a little bit like rolling my eyes going, oh, not that story again. I'm so sick of thinking about that story. I've worked through it all. And he said, no, I want to show you something else about that story. So he took me back. At this point, I'm sitting on the edge of a bed and it's, you know, it's past. So I don't have to relive it all. It's past. And I see God the Father's face. Never saw that before. And I see him looking on. And it was almost like I was allowed to see the rerun of what he saw when it was actually happening. So I saw him, and I was not anticipating this. You know, he was furious. He was so angry, like teeth-clenching angry, by what had happened to me. He was so uh, furious, there was like lightning bolts, what I felt like was lightning bolts coming out of his head. He was like, and if you've ever seen a rager uh, go off, you know, you kind of go, ooh, there, there goes rage. Well, God the Father was so angry, it could have been rage, okay? Just, it was, it was powerful. And I looked at him, and I was like instantly afraid for my abuser. <laughs> I wasn't at all afraid for myself, I was instantly afraid, oh no, what's he going to do to that guy, that poor guy? And I instantly also had compassion for the abuser, which is got to be only God, you know, because how do you have compassion outside of him giving you that? So I instantly had compassion, and I instantly had fear that something great was going to happen, but not for myself. I just knew God was doing it. He was going to get it done. And then there was an explosion, and then I didn't see him anymore. And I looked at Jesus, who was sitting right beside me. He's almost like so close. He was like inside of me. He was just right there, and he said, Judy, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And God the Father is going to bring justice for all the pain. And that was an announcement that day for me, that God the Father is going to bring justice for all the pain. Wow, that satisfied my heart. That made me feel like, oh, good, somebody's noticed because somebody has to pay. Don't you notice that? Probably as I'm telling you this story this morning, you're like, that guy inside, you're probably this sense of justice that you're feeling. And in your own, that's, that's godly because we need justice. 
we, we want justice. So my justice, though, would be to annihilate that guy, right? I mean, just kill that guy. You know, he doesn't deserve to live, right? But God's idea of justice, he, he shared with me, so cool. His idea of justice, he said one day, was to bring healing. Huh. Imagine that. Imagine that healing would actually bring the justice that would pay the price for that. Imagine that, that in your situation, that healing would actually bring the justice for what has been done to you. Now, part of us doesn't want the healing. I'll tell you, we want, you know, annihilation, right? We want somebody's hand to be slapped for sure. But see, God's got all that covered because he doesn't overlook anything. He saw it all. And you know what? It just dawned on me at that moment. Hello, we read it in scripture. God hates sin. Don't you take that as a judgment, right, when you read it? Oh, he hates sin, so I better not sin. What about that God hates sin because he hates the pain it causes you? What about that he hates sin because he sees how it destroys you? and takes a piece of you and misaligns you from the truth and about love. What about him hating the sin means that he's got to find a way to bring healing to you? He sent Jesus to come and die on the cross to pay for that sin. He did. So somebody has paid. Somebody had been annihilated. But then he rose. That was the unexpected secret weapon of God. Talk about, is resurrection of the dead not like healing? Hello? Right? Is that like like complete healing? So that's what he does. He just brings complete healing because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's why it's important we know him. He's our ticket to healing. He's the one. He's the one that brings it because he's the only one that knows how to overcome. He's the only one. He is the only one. He is the only one. And I feel like overcoming has gotten a bad rap, so I'm just going to say overcoming is only done when we surrender to God. That's how it's done. So when he showed me that, I just felt like empowered, and I felt... I felt like justice has been served. That little girl coming out of that milk house, I always felt so guilty because I had run away from home and I had rebelled. Oh my goodness. I think it was God actually taking me by the hand saying, okay, Judy, we're going to go for a walk because you don't have to live in this. I've got ways out of this. You know, after that point, my parents didn't treat me the same way. It established something in our family you will get busted, <laughs> you know, because the neighbors find out and yada, yada, right? The family dance is over. God took me by the hand and said, I got you, Judy. I'll keep you warm. I'll take care of you. I'll give you a way out. These are practical things that happen in your life when you surrender and give your trust to Jesus. So right now, I just want us to stand, stretch our legs. Align your heart now, not with my story, but align your heart right now with what God is saying inside of you. What shame 
what thing that you have said, oh, I can't, I can't go to God because mm, I got that going on. I'm not good enough. You know, he knew that about Adam and Eve, and he's the one that came to them and said, woohoo, I want you. God's saying that to you this morning. I want you. I want every part of you because I've got a solution for the pain that you've been carrying around, the hopelessness that you've been carrying around. I've got a solution for that. I've got a solution for every part of your being that's gotten misaligned where you can't even see it. What about me, God? What about my story? What are you doing in me? I feel forgotten. I feel untaken care of. I feel overlooked. You are not overlooked. He sees you. He is more with you than you know. Let's just close our eyes right now. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I just want every eye bowed. I just want you to zoom in because I actually believe that there are, there is, there are people, if not one person here, that's never met Jesus before. Today, today's your day. Today's your day. Just pray with me right now. Let's all pray together. It's great to recommit our lives to God. Jesus, I come to you right now and I surrender my life to you. And I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to remove my sin. And I accept you to be in charge of my life and to guide me. Thank you for never leaving me or forsaking me. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I invite you, just like I was a girl in the Volvo station wagon who couldn't stand not telling someone, I, I, I say, come afterwards, come and tell someone your story. It establishes something for you. It's important to talk about it. Even though my parents didn't receive, in a year they did, hello, right? It sets the stage for things in your life, for you to walk into the favor of God, for you to experience him more and more. So don't leave here today. We've got a Bible for you. We've got people who will pray with you. And I also want to... Um, I also want to just pray for anybody who uh, has been dealing with uh, massive amounts of fear and shame and doubt today. Just listening. Let's just bow our heads. God, I just see you releasing uh, weapons right now of mass destruction. <laughs> the healing, Lord. The healing that comes over the pain and over the shame, Lord. Those things that have been spoken over people's lives, I just break them right now in the name of Jesus, and I say that that is not what you have established over them. You have paid the price for them to walk freely with you. So I release that this morning, and I speak healing. I speak resurrection over people today. Thank you for coming out today. Thank you for 
for listening. I pray that the words will go deeper and you will consider where, where were you, God, in that? Where were you, God? Ask him. Huh? Ask him. He'll talk to you. Where were you when that happened? So today, out those doors, go free people, healed people, shame-free people. That's your present for today. Go with God. Love you. Come back. Uh, come up to the front if you would like prayer. There'll be a prayer team here. Feel free to, to come up and get some prayer. We love to. This message has impacted you. For more information about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.